Well, last week we started a brand new series in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we kicked it off, and we are in chapter 1 uh, today, the second half, where we're going to be starting in verse 11. If you have your print Bible, I encourage you to open that. Uh, you can start an app on your smartphone. The verses will also be on the screen. But first, I wanted to tell you about a woman who went to a medical clinic, and uh, the medical clinic that she went to regularly had four doctors in it. And she had one of the doctors was her home doctor, and it was assigned to her. And so usually that would be the doctor to see. But they went in, and when she made the appointment, they said, so we have a young intern doctor that's studying with us, and he needs experience. Would you be able to see him today? And she said, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's give him some experience. And so she goes in, meets the young intern doctor, and she's in the, the medical room talking with the examination room, talking with him for about four minutes. And all of a sudden, she runs out, slams the door, runs down the hall screaming, and runs into her regular doctor. And he says, oh my goodness, are you okay? What's happening? And so she kind of tells him. And he goes, oh, well, let me deal with this. So he goes into the young intern's doctor's office and doesn't even knock, just comes in and goes, what is wrong with you? He goes, Mrs. Terry is a wonderful 63-year-old woman. She has four adult children and a whole bunch of grandchildren, and you told her she was pregnant? What are you, what's the matter with you? And the young intern's looking at his case file, and he, he doesn't even look up, and he just goes, is she still suffering from the hiccups? And he looks at her and says, well, what, or looks at her and says, what on earth would that have to do with anything? Uh, but no, now that you mention it, no, she doesn't have the hiccups anymore. And he goes, good, my diagnosis worked. <laughs> now, scaring someone may or may not be an effective treatment for the, hookup, the hiccups, but it is the worst possible strategy to give us confidence to live our lives well. And God is no intern doctor. He doesn't scare us but rather gives us rock-solid truth to build our lives on. And that's what we're going to examine in Ephesians chapter 1 today. In Him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Amen. Those are incredible verses. And it makes an incredible point that we as followers of Jesus Christ are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It's quite an image. Now you think of a seal, you probably think of maybe like a, a really important document or a scroll that the king would have. And in order to make sure that no one would open it, they would seal it with wax and the king's imprint would be put into it and no one was allowed to break that except people who were authorized. Pastor and author John Piper has done a little thinking about this idea and what Paul was saying. And this is what he says. The Spirit seals us as a sign of authenticity. 
just like the king, his seal means the document is truly authentic. It's truly from the hand of the king. So that seal of the Holy Spirit is on you and I. We are authentically daughters and sons of God. The Holy Spirit is that sign. It's the Spirit's work in our life, which is God's trademark. Our eternal status as sons and daughters is real and authentic if we have the Spirit. He is the sign of the divine reality in our lives. The point is God wants to make us feel secure and safe in His love and power. What an incredible truth. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God's trademark is on us. Well, the thought of the purpose of God in Christ, the blessings of God choosing us beforehand, adopting us as his sons and daughters, buying us back from the debt of sin, revealing himself to us of the gift of the Holy Spirit to give us power to live this life. All of this, all of these things that Paul has been describing up till now lead to two things, prayer and praise to God. And that's exactly where Paul goes next in Ephesians 1, 15 to 18. Paul writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul prays that the Holy Spirit of God will bring revelation about God to the Christians who are reading this letter. As we discovered last week, it bears the title of, of to the church in Ephesus. We call it the book of Ephesians. But really it was to all the churches in that Roman province of Asia. Ephesus was simply the biggest church and the biggest city. The more that these first century Jesus followers scattered in churches, those churches throughout Ephesus and the other cities and towns of Asia Minor, the more that they were learning to follow Jesus, the more they wanted to grow in their faith, the more they needed to understand and experience God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. Paul uses this incredible metaphor. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open. The song that we came just saying comes from this verse, Ephesians 1.18. And what Paul's trying to get across to these brand new Christians is that God is bringing the light of his truth to their inner selves, their heart, their emotions, their will. Again, Paul's request isn't kind of a a general request that they would know the wisdom to live life well, but it's specific wisdom that they would know God well more and more and more. There's an incredible book that came out in 2014 entitled Seeking Allah finding Jesus. It's written by a young guy named Nabil Qureshi. Um, thanks to Bev Geiger for giving me this book a year ago. It was a great read, and it's just a phenomenal story of this man's journey to Jesus and how Christ pursued him. And I don't have time to tell you all the ways that God worked in his life, all the factors, all the people that meant so much to him, 
all the, the hard work of pursuing the many questions he had. It's an absolutely phenomenal read. Highly recommend it. You can read it for yourself. But I want to give you an excerpt this morning from the moment when the Holy Spirit of God truly opened Nabil Qureshi's The Eyes of His Heart. And as is consistently true with story after story after story of Muslim people coming to faith in Christ, the key moment seems to be when Jesus reveals himself to them in a dream. And he did the same for Nabil Qureshi. Here is Nabil's account of that dream. He writes, I am standing at the entrance of a narrow doorway. It's built into a wall of brick. I'm not in the doorway, I'm just out in front of it. The doorway is an arch. I'd say the doorway is seven and a half feet tall with six and a half feet of it, sides straight up, being up from the ground, another one foot arch on the top capping it off. The doorway is slightly less than three feet wide, not very wide. And it's about three or four feet deep, and it's all made of brick. And it leads into a room where many people are sitting at tables that have fancy and good food on them. I think I remember salads, but I'm not sure. That's depressing. Are we going to eat salad in heaven? (laughs) Just kidding. I love salad. It's healthy for me. And honey, I will eat more kale. Keep feeding it to me. They were not eating, but they were all ready to eat. And as they were all looking, and they were all looking to my left, as if waiting for a banquet speaker. One of the people on the other side of the door, just inside the room, is my good Christian friend, David Wood. I'm unable to walk into the room because David is occupying the other threshold of the doorway, is sitting at a table, and is also looking to his left. I asked him, I thought we were going to eat together. And he said, without removing his eyes from the front of the room, you never responded. He writes that when he woke up from that dream, he immediately had an interpretation. The room was heaven, the feast was a feast in the kingdom of heaven, and it was a wedding of sorts. In order to get into the room, he had to respond to his Christian friend David's invitation. The door was the most vivid part of the dream, but he didn't fully understand it. Why was the door so narrow? The next day, he calls his friend David, tells him the dream. David said, Nabil, this dream is so clear, you don't even need an interpretation. He said, if you want to know more, though, go read Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. So Nabil went, found a Bible, and this is what he read. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching. As he made his way to Jerusalem, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside, knocking and pleading. Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. People will come from the east and west, north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, 
There are those who are last and those who will be first and the first who will be last. Nabil read it and he was absolutely overwhelmed. It was exactly like his dream. He writes, God had given me a dream that was so clear that I did not need to interpret it. The interpretation recorded in the Bible for 2,000 years. The narrow door was the door to salvation. Jesus was telling me to make every effort to enter it. If I did not respond to the invitation, I'd be left outside asking to come in. That Ocean View Community Church is having the eyes of your heart opened up. Now, the exciting thing is that the Holy Spirit of God doesn't just do that at the very beginning of our journey, that initial moment of faith, that initial moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit of God continues to do that as you and I grow in Christ, as we learn more. What does it actually mean to follow Jesus? He keeps periodically giving us these moments where the eyes of our heart are opened. As we discovered at the beginning, the point is, isn't just a general wisdom about how to live life well. Paul's saying he wants us to have the wisdom to know God better. And that is a lifetime journey. That is not something we figure out in one week. Knowing and admiring Jesus. I continue to be amazed and discover things. And I thought, I've, I have read the Bible completely cover to cover I keep missing amazing things about Jesus. And the more I study history, the more I see how Jesus turned our world upside down. You know, everyone who dies and is really famous and did amazing things, when they die, they are at the peak of their impact. And then as the years go by, the impact they had in their lifetime declines. I mean, in his day, Alexander the Great changed the world. He had a huge impact. And today, he's a note in a history book. You know, the one life that is exactly the opposite, it's Jesus. Jesus died 2,000 years ago, and the influence of Jesus on our world around the globe is greater today than it ever has been. There are people coming to Christ in China in unbelievable numbers. The influence of Christ functions radically different to every other human life. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I see his impact, the more I admire him. The more I walk the Christian life, the more I learn to trust the Holy Spirit to fill me, to empower me, to guide me, the more that I learn about God the Father, that he truly is a good father. He's not a big angry guy with a stick ready to whack us if we get out of line. It's the exact opposite. He's a good, good father who loves us and wants the best for us. So what are the three specific truths that Paul really wants these new Christians to understand? Well, number one, the hope that they have as a result of God's call to be his people. The believer's call comes at God's initiative. You see it in people who come to Christ all the time. We had a number of baptisms last summer, and it was so amazing to hear the, the testimony of those students and those people. Everybody testifies 
God did this. God made the first move. He's the one who reached out to me, and I responded. It's the same with Nabil Qureshi. You read that incredible book. God is continually reaching out to that young man. One of the young guys that Paul raised up was a young guy named Timothy, and he mentored him. And Timothy went on to pastor that big church in Ephesus. We're studying the book of Ephesians. Timothy would be sent by Paul to that church in Ephesus. And in 1.9, this is what Paul reminds Timothy of. He says, He has saved us, called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. We mentioned that last week, the idea that we are chosen by God before the foundation of the universe. And secondly, we are adopted into his family as daughters and sons. Amazing what God has done for us. And that gives us a solid foundation that begins to build our confidence as followers of Jesus. It was true for those early Christians that were reading this book 1,920 years ago, and it's true for us here today. But we are stubborn. We don't let that truth get down deep into our hearts. We need to hear it over and over and over again. It truly gives us hope. I remember that feeling of it as a young adult. You, you haven't found the right person to, to seriously date yet, to look at maybe marrying one day. And often young adults start to feel like God doesn't care, He's abandoned me. And they need to be reminded this morning that God has a plan for your life. He has the perfect person for you to marry. found this great little sign from the sharks. One shark's got his little flip over. He says, there, there, buddy. There's plenty of other fish in the sea. I was supposed to be funny. But anyway, <laughs> never mind. Scratch that from the sermon file. That one did not... You know what? As a young adult, you can't rush or force those kind of relationships. You need to trust because God in Christ has chosen you as a son or daughter before the foundation of the world. Fast forward, maybe someone's in a marriage and it's falling apart. Their spouse leaves. And we should, in the midst of the worst thing in our life, the worst trial, wake up and say, my heart hurts, but God in Christ has not forgotten me. He will help me get through this each and every day because he chose me as a son or daughter before the foundation of the world. Do you see how this practically works out in the reality of day-to-day life? When we have our, our foundation in Christ solid, then we can weather the storms of life. Well, the second truth Paul wants us to get a hold of, he says the rich glory they possess in their status as God's own inheritance. You hear that word inheritance, what does it make you think of? Well, it makes you think of someone who has spent a lifetime working and accumulating resources. And then near the end of their life, they make a will and they want to pass it on to their sons and daughters and grandkids and relatives. Receiving an inheritance is an incredible thing. But this verse says really interestingly And at first glance, you think, what is this talking about? That God himself receives an inheritance. Well, God created everything. 
God's got all the wealth in the universe. God has an unlimited power, unlimited knowledge. What in earth could God receive as an inheritance? You know what it is? It's you and I. It's all the faithful saints from the first half of the Bible that looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. All of the people in the, around the world in the last 2,000 years that have put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And if you picture that moment at the end of history when Jesus comes back, everyone's assembled before God, and you think about the massive, massive crowd, people from every country, every language group, every division of society are united in praise to God. God will look at that assembly, which includes you and I, And God will have the most massive smile of joy on his face and he will say, that is my inheritance. That is the greatest treasure that I could be given. Now that's a truth to carry into your week this week. What an image to lodge in our hearts. Give us hope each and every day. We are God's inheritance. Finally, Paul says the last truth he wants these people to get a hold of, the enormity of the power that God has put into effect for their advantage. Paul is praying and hoping that the reader of Ephesians will understand that God's enormous power is at their disposal. All followers of Jesus, the same God who created the universe in all of its immensity, the same God that created people all over the world, each human being unique, the same God that keeps the world spinning, that same God that possesses such enormous power says to each of us, ask me, ask me when you need peace, when you need comfort, when you need the power to say yes to the good, when you need power to say no to temptation. The strength to keep going when you feel done and exhausted. What a resource that is. It's open to us. And that's where I want to end with this in our third and final point today. The power to follow Jesus well. Paul describes the power available to Christians as the same power he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated it at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, if you stop and think about what is the power of resurrection, the power of resurrection is to conquer death. We don't know that power yet. Everything in our world seems to die except Jesus. He's the first one to be resurrected. But the great promise is that one day you and I will be resurrected like him. We'll come to true eternal life. Our body will be transformed and changed like Christ into something that can't get sick or hurt or die ever again. That's some serious power. I've said it many times, but it's worth repeating. Every other world religion or faith out there says, here's the standard, now work really hard to reach it. The Christian faith alone is completely unique. It says, here's the standard, it's the life of Jesus. Try to be like him, and here's the power to do it. That's the difference, the power to follow Jesus well. It's the power of God to help you and I every day learn to be a little bit more like Jesus. And that is absolutely game-changing 
for the Christian life. It transformed the Christian experience from try harder to rely more. Now, if you take an honest look at your life this morning and you go, you know what? Honestly, I'm stuck in try harder mode. I've been trying to live the Christian life by gritting my teeth, forcing it through willpower. The Apostle Paul wants to declare to us this morning, be free of that. Don't get stuck in that rut. Rely instead on the power of God. He is the one who is able to transform our lives so that we look like Jesus. I came across a beautiful story of a woman in the state of Georgia in the southern U.S. this week. This is how relying on the power of Christ works in the nitty-gritty of life. This woman writes, 19 years ago, I received a call from my dad that my mom had passed. She'd had a massive heart attack and passed away. I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old at the time. I needed my mother. She was my lifeline. She had such good advice. I called her every day. I used to smoke back then. Not in my house, but every evening as I got home from work, I would go to the back patio. (coughs) I would grab my cigarettes and my phone. I would smoke and talk to my mom. I would tell her about my day. We would discuss what we'd be fixing for dinner that night. She would give me incredible advice about life. And I could not think, once I heard of my mother's death, I could not think about my mother with it almost inducing a panic attack. My way of dealing with her death was just to try to not think about it. I went through a period at work where we were extremely busy. That kept me occupied for a few months, but then that slowed down. And one evening I came home, grabbed my cigarettes and the phone, headed out to the back porch. I got halfway through dialing my mom and I realized she wasn't going to answer. She would never answer. I would never be able to talk to her again. It devastated me. I hit my knees. I dropped to my knees, fell on the ground and told God I didn't really know him, but if he was out there, I needed his help. This was too much to handle. I had to know my mom was okay. If I knew she was okay, then I would be okay, but I had to know. And at that moment, even when I hardly had the tiniest speck of faith, she writes that this incredible sense of peace and calm came over her entire body. She said, from my head to my toes, it just flooded me, and it couldn't explain it. A few days later, I was still processing my mom's grief and missing my mom. And my four-year-old climbed up on the bed and asked me if I was crying because I missed grandma. I told her, yes. And she said, well, grandma told me, don't be sad. I asked her what she was talking about. She said, well, I saw grandma. She was in the sun standing next to that man, Jesus. And grandma told her not to be sad because she was happy. She was with Jesus. And my mom apparently told my four-year-old to make sure she told me that, too. And so I asked, why do you think Grandma didn't tell me herself? And she says, Grandma says she can't talk to you yet because you don't have enough faith. We didn't go to church at the time. No way my daughter knew what faith was, much less the word faith. I don't think she saw my mother in the sun. I believe she saw the glory coming off of Jesus. I realized then that Jesus truly loved me, that he had heard and answered my prayer, and I've been chasing him ever since, and he let me catch him. 
You know, when we keep our eyes on what God has done in Jesus Christ, He gives us the confidence to live well, the enlightenment to know God well, and the power to follow Jesus well. Amen? Neil, come and pray for us.